0: So let me pray and we'll look into God's word today and so God we do believe uh, like we always say we believe in the Holy Spirit and we don't believe in his presence simply as a doctrinal statement of truth although we believe it's true but we believe it is a is a present active uh, reality in our lives. He is present, he is active. Um, your word says the spirit is inside each one of us, in each one of us who has allowed you Jesus inside of us. So would your spirit speak to us this morning, give us the ears to hear, help us to see things you want us to see, hear things you want us to hear, and then would your spirit give us uh, the courage and the grace to do what you want us to do. And we ask this all in Christ's name, amen. Um, a couple of things I forgot about real quick. Go to the, uh, yeah, uh, two weeks from today we're going to have a soup lunch. Uh, that's the 16th, I think I got that right. Um, and I was telling something before, I made all those soups yesterday and decorated them. No, I didn't. It's a stock photo. But anyway, so uh, I've got some sign-up sheets I'll just pass around. We'll pass around next week as well. So people bring soup, salad, bread, rolls, dessert, or whatever. So um, it's not cardstock, so it might be hard to write on. But we do it two weeks. And if you haven't been before, we, have, we just set up tables. And as soon as church is over, we go back and eat. So I um, haven't done that for a while. It's kind of fun to do it again, so. All right, so um, Stephanie, go to that first. All right, so you've, I, I don't know if you're a, I'm, I'm not like a major TV watcher, but uh, insurance companies just seem to have funny commercials, like, like they're competing for each other about being funny. So I don't know if you've seen the Liberty Mutual commercials, this, and they're always they're always the Statue of Liberty. I mean, this is not an ad for them. But this one particularly is funny to me because this guy is like a bumbling actor. He, he can't get the lines right. He's supposed to, he has, he has one job. Here's his line. Liberty Mutual customizes your car insurance so you only pay for what you need. That's his only job. He can't get it out right. He starts off by saying Liberty Buchima, Liberty Mutual, Liberty Biberty. Then um, he keeps going line, 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 because he can't remember his line. He had one thing to say, he can't remember it. And it's kind of funny, he's kind of a bumbling, bumbling through it. He can't get the words out. And eventually I have to dub over somebody else's voice while he just mouths the words because he can't get the words right. One of the things I think you will agree with, and, and I know is true for me, is when there's times for me in normal conversation, opportunities that come up that I don't create, but all of a sudden there's an opportunity to talk about Jesus in a meaningful way, and the words don't come out right. Right? We don't. We don't say what we want to say. We're not sure what to say. We wish we could just yell over and say line. Somebody tell me what to say right now. That's the best thing to answer this. And we're doing a series on boldness, talking about being bold about Jesus. And again, boldness is not uh, you know, loud or brassy. It's simply fearless, free, and courageous, and confident to speak clearly about Jesus. But sometimes we find it hard to find the words for that. There's opportunities we have when somebody might ask us a question or a situation would in a normal way lead us to talk about Jesus, but we fumble our words, we stumble over our words, we don't know what to say um, because we're, we're not a bumbling actor, we're just maybe a little bit timid. So the whole day of boldness, it's, all, uh, it's in the book of Acts quite a bit where people act boldly Paul talks about uh, preaching boldly. The New Testament talks about Jesus speaking with a kind of a bold clarity. So it seems to be from the Gospels and from the New Testament, it's a normal part of the Christian life. It's not like, okay, some of us are just normal people, but three of us will be bold. Seems like the, the, the story of Scripture is everybody's design by God is that we have a boldness about us, a clear clarity. A confidence a freedom and a fearlessness about talking about Jesus. And again, we don't have to change your personality. God's given us all certain personalities and within your personality there's ways Jesus wants you to be bold. So we've done different uh, we've looked the last couple weeks at times where Peter was bold, Peter and John were bold. Last week we looked at Paul being bold in a situation and people wanted to kill him so we talked about, we all understand the tensions of being more clear and confident and bold because there's in our in our situation we're not having people want to kill us but there's social awkwardness we don't want people to think we're weird we don't want to think we're, we're some kind of religious freak so the the passage today we're going to look at is from acts chapter 19 so a lot of the boldness stories in the bible accounts are Paul um and None of us, as far as I know, we don't know what Paul's personality is like. But none of us are Paul, but we're going to see his boldness kind of in his own personality. But again, boldness is transferable to all personalities. So don't, you know, if you're a quiet person, it doesn't mean you can't be bold. I'm a loud person. It's not easier for me to be bold than anybody else. It's just I'm loud, right? So boldness is more the clarity of what you say and how you say it. So, so this particular uh, scenario takes place in, in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey, See on the right there is modern-day Israel, Jerusalem, and it's the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, But it takes place in Ephesus. This is the third, what's called Paul's third missionary journey. So the third time that he goes on this roundabout, um, visiting different churches and things like that. So this is in a town called Ephesus. Ephesus was like a major port city. It was a major uh, trade city. It housed a temple called the Temple of Artemis one of the seven wonders of the world, which was an incredibly incredible structure where they worshipped the goddess Artemis and all that went along with that. So it was an interesting place, and Paul shows up there and meets some people who were followers of Jesus, but they had not really heard about. So Paul instructs them, teaches them some things, and then he, Paul goes to the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue, which was the regular thing that Jewish people would do, and he's showing them, opening up of them things about Jesus they hadn't heard before. So he talks to these men, he finds out there's believers around, so he goes to synagogue on a regular basis to teach, and this is where I'm gonna pick up the passage, all right? So go to the next slide. So this is uh, Acts chapter 19. I put the date down there for a reason, because we're gonna look at some of the progression of some dates here. It was about AD 53, 55, so 20-ish plus years after Jesus was uh, crucified and resurrected. So, um, but this is in Ephesus. This is Paul after he just met some Christians, goes to the synagogue, says, then Paul went to the synagogue, and read the yellow with me, preached boldly for the next three months. Some of the synagogues would meet weekly. Sometimes they'd meet throughout the week. But he obviously had a regular habit of going there, and he preached boldly, which meant, Clearly, confidently, freely, and without, uh, without fear of, of uh, awareness of, but not fear of, any kind of awkwardness that might come at him because he's talking about something about Jesus that they, in a way they haven't understood before. Talking, Preached boldly three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is what Jesus said he came to do. The kingdom of God is now among you. In other words, life with God is now possible for you because of me jesus was, that was his message so that's what paul's preaching about he's preaching about the kingdom of god about jesus again when we're clear when there's clarity about jesus when you talk about jesus in ways we see or don't see there's resistance and this is what paul hits but some became stubborn rejecting his message and publicly speaking against the way the way was a uh, a phrase they used. Uh, mainly non Christians would use to call the Christians in that day their followers of the way, the way of Jesus. But again, Paul's speaking boldly, and anytime there's bold speaking about Jesus, there's going to be some kind of uh, the stories in Scripture either it's, it's either division, it's persecution, or there's like astonishment. So, all those things, but there's always going to be some sense of resistance. Some of the people who listened, maybe for the whole three months or some time, some of them became stubborn, rejected. They didn't like what he was saying about Jesus. It didn't fit. It, 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 most likely, like we talk about Jesus today, it, it butted up against their lifestyle. It exposed something in them they didn't want to see exposed. Because, see, if Jesus is, like we just sang, if he's the king of kings, then he has authority over my life and my body. If he's just one among many gods, I don't have anybody who's authority over me. That's the, really, that, that's the tension of being a follower of Jesus. We don't just follow him, but if we say he's our king, he has authority over me and my body. And that's an offense to a lot of people. It's hard for, it's hard for us sometimes, but it's hard for people to say that somebody else has authority over you, your life, your money, your body, your relationships. We don't like that. But yet we also believe that Jesus is not only the king, but he's incredibly wise, kind, and loving king. There's no king like him. So so they they became stubborn. They reject his message, public speaking and sway. Next passage. This is just a follow-up to the next one. So Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with him. Then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Now, Historians don't know exactly what that was, but they said often their towns would have like a lecture hall or um, different venues where local philosophers would have their own little classes and talk to their followers. So it, we don't even know who Tyrannus was, but it was some, there was some building that Paul apparently had access to. All right, That he went and, and he said he, he went on for the next two years. He held daily discussions, so he's not necessarily preaching to people, he's talking to them about Jesus and the kingdom of God and what that means and, and what it means that we can't be saved by obeying the laws of Moses, but we're gonna, it's all about this guy Jesus. So for two years, Paul spoke clearly, courageously, boldly about Jesus. So that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. So few months in the synagogue, two years, regularly, daily, in the, in the lecture hall, Paul's speaking. Speaking about Jesus. Speaking about Jesus. Having discussions about Jesus. Not yelling at people, probably, but having discussions about Jesus. And then, this next line, I just, I, I'll, I'll, I'll read the rest from the scripture. So the next line, it always intrigues me when they add this stuff, because it's, it's part of the whole kind of package of when God is at work. So God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. We don't, it doesn't say it exactly, but I think boldness, the kind of boldness Paul had, or in early in the book of Acts, Acts and John, I think boldness does open the door to power in our lives. I mean, power from the Holy Spirit. Not that we're going to be doing unusual miracles like Paul, but boldness, when we're able to speak boldly, that it seems to be a linchpin that opens up something of the Spirit's pouring out into our lives in greater and greater measures. But I'm just going to read what this was like. Because this is, so it said Paul had uh, the power to do unusual miracles. And this is what it says next. So just leave it on this slide. This is, part of the, this is part of what happened, the supernatural explosion that happened. So when handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin, Paul's skin... Were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. All right, this is the weird meter. If you've been here before, I talk about the weird meter. This is weird, but it's supernatural and it's true. So first, there's handkerchiefs get put on people and the people are healed. Evil spirits are expelled. Then it says a group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, who was a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirits replied, I know Jesus. I know Paul. But who are you? Then the man with evil spirits leaped on them, overpowered them, attacked them with such violence they fled from the house. Naked and battered. So we have this unusual healing with the handkerchiefs, then we have this supernatural, demonic incident happening, all seemingly kind of as a result of Paul's boldness. The story of what happened spread quickly throughout all Ephesus, the Jews and Gentiles alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. This, This last part I read, this is what happened in Ephesus. I'm going to read it again in a second, parts of it. And I want you to think what would, what would it be like if what, what I'm going to read would be said about Bloomington, Indiana. Because I often think about the idea of revival. I, there's, uh, back in the 1800s, there was revivals in Kentucky called the Cane Ridge Revivals where people um, followed Jesus. They left their life of sin behind. There were supernatural things happening, and it was like, This is showing my Hoosier bias. In Kentucky? God was working in Kentucky? Yes, he was working in Kentucky. All right? The Cain Ridge Revival. They said there were incredible things happened. People changed their lives because of their interaction with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, like thousands of people. And I've read the history of churches in Bloomington. Some believe that some of the churches in Bloomington, some of the earliest churches, were started by people who had been affected by the Cane Ridge Revival in Kentucky and then came up to Bloomington Way and started some new churches. So, it's, But when I read about those kind of revivals, where you read about, you know, there was a Welsh Revival in Great Britain, there was a Great, great Awakening in the United States, and then you have the Cane Ridge Revival, where people gave up their sinful practices. In other words, people confessed sins. They dealt with things before God and their lives were changed. And I I often think about what would that look like in Bloomington? Not in a way that we're forcing it on people, but where the Spirit actually changes our lives, the church, where we confess sin, but then also friends and neighbors, family members of yours who have no interest in Jesus now, at least from what you know, their lives become changed. So what would, let me just read part of that statement again. Let's say that somebody wrote this about Bloomington, all right? Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A solemn fear descended on the city and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. What would, it be? What would that be? If that was Bloomington, the name, a solemnness came over the city, the name of the Lord was feared around the whole city. What would that be like? Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. In this case, they gave up Things, things that were idolatrous, at the value of millions of dollars. This was no small revival here in Ephesus, generated in part by Paul's openness, willingness, and boldness to talk about Jesus. All right, so that's kind of. I'm just turning that because that's. And then later on, because of this, because of that, not too shortly after that, there was a huge riot in Ephesus because all these people are throwing away their sorcery books, away and the people who made the idols silversmiths, goldsmiths who made the idols got upset because it was going to hurt their business. They get people all riled up and they all go to this Ephesus Amphitheater and have this huge riot. And they want to, they want to, they want to harm Paul and his associates. So, so again, we start with this seemingly innocent, Paul's preaching boldly in the synagogue. Well, then he has opposition. People are stubborn. So he leaves and goes to Tyrannus. The Hall of Trans and talks there for two or three years, and then it kind of gets weird. People are healed supernaturally, demonic things happen. People turn in their sinful sorcery books, million dollars of value, and they just throw it out, and then there's riot. So it's like boldness about Jesus doesn't just end up with like you know Mister Rogers' neighborhood peace. It it, it it causes turbulence in the, in, in the church. It causes turbulence in the culture because Jesus wants to write up things in our hearts, in the people's hearts that we live around. He wants to, he wants to turn us back toward him. So I just, uh, that's the ramification of boldness. That's, that's Ephesus, all right? Now, let's shift 10 years later to the book of Ephesians, all right? Paul is now writing to the church at Ephesus, and he had spent two, we know at least two or three years there in Ephesus. This is ten years later now. In the book of Ephesus, he's writing to the church at Ephesus, and we can assume that some of the people who were receiving this letter were some of the very people Paul knew well, people he maybe that came to the lecture hall of Tyrannus on a regular basis, got to know Paul well. Paul helped them understand what it means to follow Jesus. But the thing to understand about this, when Paul wrote this, where was Paul when he wrote this? He was in prison in Rome. So he's writing back to his friends from Ephesus who had been a part of this whole story with him, of him speaking boldly there and all these supernatural things happening, kind of a revival in the city, but also riots in the city. So he's in prison. This is the last part of the letter of the Ephesians, chapter 6, and... Uh, so Paul Paul has a resume of boldness, all right? He's done it. He's been there. He's done that. He's been there. He's done that. He's been there. He's done that. He surely is an expert on speaking boldly. He doesn't need any help. He doesn't need any un- human help, let alone, he may not even God's help because he knows how it goes. Not true because this is what we see what Paul say. He asks them, and pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words I mean, he's, he's talking to prisoners, prison guards. Ask God to give me the right word so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plans. So the good, news, that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I'm in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will read the yellow with me. Keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. It's like, Paul, you've been doing this for like 10, 15 years and you're asking us to pray for you? You've been doing this for 10 or 15 years and you're, you're asking us to pray that you would keep on speaking boldly? Because Paul knew what we all know. It, it's hard keep, to, to kind of live in that arena where you're open before God and you're fearless before people. And Paul's asking them because we, we also know that boldness, like Paul's praying for, like they prayed for in Acts 4, it's a supernatural thing that God gives you. You don't just, you're not just a bold person because you practice boldness, you're a bold person because the Holy Spirit emboldens you. So Paul's praying for that. But on this, I want to highlight on the, and this was ten years later, so again this is, he's all, he's still talking about being bold and how do I speak boldly in this pit hole of a prison I'm in. But go to the next slide. Here's what I want to focus on from this particular passage. And this kind of ties back to the Liberty Biberty uh, commercial about not having the right words. Paul says, and pray for me. Ask the God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain. And he talks about explaining the gospel, explain what I'm... But Paul's asking that he... They pray for him that God would give him the right words to say. You have likely been in situations... Whether the conversation is going on, somebody asks you a question, or it's a situation where you sense a prompting, this is the time to talk about Jesus in a natural way, and you don't have the right word, you don't know what words to say. But it seems like what Paul's saying, you know, if you pray for me, because pray that God will give me the right words to say. I mean, Paul wasn't writing a script ahead of time and saying, well, when I get in these situations, I'm going to pull out this script and read what I need to say to these people. He's saying, no, I just pray that when I get in those situations in a conversation or some other situation where it is clear to me the Holy Spirit is prompting me to engage in the conversation and bring Jesus into the conversation in a natural way, but then it's going to be offered. God, give me the right words to say. I don't want to... I don't know what to say in this situation. And most of us, self-included, are are afraid at times. Well, I don't know what to say. If you'll ask me, I don't know what to say. That's okay. Ask God to give you the right words to say. There's even a passage in in Mark where Jesus is talking to the disciples about the fact they're going to be persecuted. And he says, so when you're arrested, this is in Mark chapter 13, And stand trial. Don't worry in advance about what to say. Just say what God tells you at that time. For it is not you who will be speaking, but the Holy Spirit. So we don't need to walk around with pre printed note cards of what to say if somebody asks us about Jesus. We don't need to walk around with a script and memorize lines about what to say if we feel like God wants to talk about Jesus. Say what God tells you at the time, for it's not you speaking. Because God can give you the right words. I think I've, I know I've told this story before, but I, we had a neighbor years ago. His name was Chris, and uh, he was an electro, electrical engineer. So it's always good to have neighbors who understand electronics because you invite them over and give them cookies and they fix things, right? So Chris came over to our house. It was a dishwasher problem. And I wanted him to kind of help me solve it quickly, because I had not yet, I was delinquent on buying Kathy Christmas presents, and I would set a time this afternoon, that particular afternoon, which was not too many days before Christmas, to go out and get something, some things, all right? So he's, I'm kind of, I'm kind of in a hurry, but I want my dishwasher fixed. fix, so Chris fixes, fixes it, and then he's like, hey, before I leave, i got a question for you. I'm like, yeah, what's that, Chris? Why did Jesus die for us? just like, I want to go to the mall by Christmas present. This is not the right time for this kind of question, Chris. All right? I mean, maybe you've had the... It's like, and so I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I can speak my human words and say, can we talk about this some other time? Or good question. But I knew, it's just like Peter, early in the book of Acts, he saw the opportunity to speak boldly. I knew it was an opportunity. And I knew... I could give him a very vanilla religious answer that would end the conversation quickly. You know, something like, well, you know, he died for our sins, so we could know, go to heaven after we die. I mean, I, but I felt like God would say, no, I want you to engage in the conversation. And I didn't have a script, we just started talking. And in that situation, it was not a convenient one. Which again, sometimes Jesus will invite you into inconvenient times of conversation. But like I said, in the, early in the book of Acts, there was a time where Peter, it says Peter saw an opportunity and he spoke boldly. So when you see the opportunity to speak boldly, you got to step into the opportunity, but you also have to say, okay, Jesus... I have no idea what I'm supposed to say here. I know I need to talk about you, but I don't want to fumble my words and liberty miberty, Jesus, whatever. I I don't want to fumble my words. I want to speak clearly and confidently without the cloud of timidity over my words where I'm trying to apologize before I even say anything. So here's the challenge for today. Ask God to give you the right words so you can boldly talk about Jesus. And those words will not come in advance. He won't write out a script for you. He won't give it to you on a note card. It will come in a moment where you're not expecting it, but it's an opportunity. The Holy Spirit is present, and the Bible is full of situations, especially the Book of Acts, where people weren't expecting, and all of a sudden, boom, they were in a situation. They and they, Peter preached at Pentecost without notes. He was a fisherman. He was uneducated. Three thousand people came to know him, know Jesus. So, what? What I have been doing, and I've been praying for you, I pray for myself, that God would not only help us see opportunities for bold conversation, but he'd give us the words to say at that time. And we can't create those opportunities. We can try. But you can't create those opportunities. Like we can't, like if I'm a surfer, I can't create the waves. I can sure learn how a surfboard works and I keep my balance. So when a wave comes, I'm ready to ride it. But too many times in churches, and I think even when it comes to evangelism, we kind of get into what I'll call wave creation mode. We just paddle really fast and surfboard, I'm surfing, I'm surfing. And like, no, no, you're just creating waves yourself. It's not, those aren't, but then if you wait for the wave that God sends, sometimes unexpectedly, you're ready to go. So my challenge for all of us and my prayer for all of us is just that we would have a readiness that when the opportunity presents itself, like Peter in Acts 4 saw the opportunity, stepped into it, but also then, like Paul, we ask God in advance for the right words. He's not going to give us the words in advance, but ask about it. Or maybe in that moment, you're like, God, give me the right words to say. And Paul, who was a no more... No, <laughs> No one's more experienced than Paul talking about Jesus, but he was asking God for the, please pray for me that God would give me the right words to say. So, let me pray. So, God, we uh, we've all had situations where we've maybe we felt like we failed or we feel guilty because we didn't talk about Jesus, and we know you don't motivate us by guilt and you don't want to motivate us by fear. But God, we also know um, that you've changed our lives and that you, Jesus, aren't simply a a religious term that we use to affect our behaviors on Sunday mornings and maybe throughout the week when we read the Bible, but you're somebody who is uh, intimate with us. You're our friend. We follow you. We love you. You are the king. So God, I do pray for all of us here this morning that you would give us eyes to see opportunities, that come about through our ordinary days, this week, next week, maybe tomorrow, see an opportunity when we have a clarity that this is the time the Holy Spirit wants us to step up and speak. But also, we know that in those moments, we need you to tell us what words to say. Because we want to speak exactly what you want us to say. Because we want to talk about you, Jesus. We don't want to talk about religion we don't talk about the Christian faith we don't want to even talk about our church we want to talk about you Jesus and why you are the center of our lives why you are the king of our lives Why you are the one and the only one that we believe can give us the peace and joy that transcends any trauma or turmoil around our lives that's what we want to be able to talk about so Jesus give us that kind of courage give us that kind of peace in those moments, but give us the words that will point people to you. And we ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. So we have communion every week in Exodus and we do it again. I was <clears> to <throat> remind people we do it because Jesus is the center part of what we do here. And doctrine isn't the center part of what we do here. The center part of what we do here is the redemption of Jesus offered through his crucifixion and his resurrection. So when he was and night he was betrayed, he said to his disciples, this is my body, this is my blood, broken and shed for you. Every time you eat this, you proclaim, or drink this, you proclaim forgiveness of sins are available to all. It's a proclamation. We're not yelling that or saying that while we take this, but in the invisible world, something's getting said. All right? So uh, go to this last slide here. And this, was, this is actually something, uh, one of Paul's uh, statements, part of a sermon earlier on in the book of Acts but it was part of his boldness but he says let it be known to you that through this man through Jesus forgiveness of sins is proclaimed and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed from from the law of Moses so this is about freedom this is about uh leaving chains behind Um, this is not about guilt this is not about uh, religious obligation it's about freedom so, um, here's how we do it at Exodus. When Aaron will lead us in a, a song to finish with, we'll offer you the, we just come on up. We don't dismiss our rows. We just have people come on up during the music. Offer you this. You take a wafer. Somebody will have the cup. We usually just dip the cup, dip, dip the wafer in the cup. Most people eat it right away. Some people take it back to their seats. You can do whatever. But um, let me pray. So, Jesus, you, you gave us this meal to remind us of our freedom. You didn't give us this to remind us of our slavery. You didn't give us this to remind us of any of the sinfulness of our hearts. You gave this to remind us of your offer and promise of freedom through your cross, freedom to know you, freedom to be friends with God, God in a way that nobody's ever imagined we could be. So we thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this meal of freedom that you give to us. And as we take it into us, we take it with gratitude. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.